so I need three volunteers this morning, one of whom needs to be holding a tiny human. Well, I, I, I suppose you could be holding a larger human, too, if that was easier. Three volunteers, come on up. And I, I will call on you. Two more. Anybody? Yeah, come on up. I'm just kind of nervous. I see. Don't be anxious about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You don't need to be anxious about that. Two more volunteers. Please. Anybody. You don't have to actually do anything. Perfect. Okay. So, <clears throat> Molly. Yes. You're going to have about 30 seconds here. And I would like you to make Lillian grow by a foot, using whatever means you want, okay? Let's start pulling. Okay, Alex, I need you to put some bread on that plate by your sheer force of your will and personality. Okay. Billy, I would like you to speak to this lamp Okay, then think really hard at this lamp and make it turn on. Okay, ready? Go. <laughs> okay, any growth? Have, have we seen a foot of growth there? No. Any bread? No bread on the plate? I'm sorry about that. Any light? No. No. Okay. Do you feel that you've failed at your task here? You've succeeded wonderfully. So. Are you trying to make this no, no, thank you. That was it. Thank you. That was it. So we're going to be in, uh, actually in Matthew 6 this morning. And we'll come back to the growing baby and the plate of bread and the light that, or the lamp that does not light. Uh, Matthew 6, page 811 in the Black Pew Bibles. Uh, and we're going to uh, actually, just by way of context, kind of um, look at, starting in, in verse 19, uh, Jesus is teaching here on, on money and on wealth. Uh, and he says uh, in, in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither not moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then in verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So he's urging us here to consider where it is that our treasure is. Where are we placing the value and the emphasis in our lives? Are we valuing the temporary things of this world? Or are we valuing the things of the kingdom? These things that have eternal value. Now there's a temptation for us here to try and split the difference, right? To try and straddle the fence. 
But we can't do that. It says we can't have two masters. We can't serve a kingdom that exists only in this world and serve God's eternal kingdom. And so one of the, one of the questions that's often asked here is whether the things that we are treasuring, whether that's finances, whether that's time, are they arranged in such a way that we could see ourselves investing in God's kingdom with those things or whether we are investing in our own kingdom? But you can't do both. You can't serve two kingdoms. You can't serve two masters. And then, in verse 25, he continues, Therefore, so because these things are true, because you can't serve two masters, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, nor what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So there's an implication here uh, that he's only that Jesus is only speaking to those people who have chosen to serve the kingdom of heaven. Um, those people who are laying up their treasure, not on earth, but in heaven. And he says to them, do not be anxious. So don't be overly worried. Don't care more than is necessary about any of these things about what you will eat or drink or about your body or about what you will put on. And then he continues on, verse 26. Um, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Um, another way to translate that is a, a single cubit to his height, um, hence the growing baby. Uh, which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his span of life or a single cubit to his height? And why are you anxious about clothing? Con- consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So these are examples that Jesus has given us. They're examples of how God accomplishes this miraculous provision through these ordinary, everyday means. Um, He gives the example of the birds. He says, do the birds worry? about where their next meal is coming from? Are are they storing up a retirement fund? No. Their food, their sustenance is provided by God. Now granted, they have to go and find it, right? They have to go and look for it. They have to do the work that he has designed them to do. But their sustenance, their food, their daily bread is there without them needing to worry about it or without them feeling the need to make it happen on their own. They trust God to provide for them. So he gives the example of of birds. He gives the example of of lifespan. Um, It says in Acts 17 that God has determined our appointed times and the boundaries of our habitation. And in Psalm 139, uh, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written... Every one of them, the days that were formed for me, 
when as yet there were none of them. So God knew before my days started what every single one of them was going to be. So the lengths of our lives are, are determined by God. And spending time worrying and fretting about them doesn't do anything to make it longer, right? Any more than worrying and fretting about the height of our physical bodies does anything to make us taller. So instead, we trust God, not ourselves, for the length of our days. So the birds of the air, the span of our lives, and then the lilies of the field. So the finest clothing, the richest adornments that man can come up with. That's, that's what it said. And even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. So the richest clothing that man can come up with can't compare with the beauty of what God has created. Now, the lilies would have been a, a wonderful example for the people of that time because they would have grown wild in the, in the fields around them. Uh, and so I think that for us, it might be a little bit easier for us to understand uh, if we look at it as the, as the fall leaves, right? Because when we see the foliage in the fall as the leaves change, I mean, that's, it's gorgeous, right? And it's so beautiful that we can't ever hope to be able to capture that in any way. I, I mean, a painting will kind of do it, but it lacks the detail. And a, and a picture has the detail, but, it, but it, it, it lacks the depth and the vibrancy. And both of those mediums, they never capture the, the feel or the smell or the sound of those leaves. And so they're beautiful. But for all of their beauty, as gorgeous as they are, what do we do with them? We rake them up, and we burn them, or we compost them, or we, or we bag them up. We throw them away, right? And so if that is the beauty that God clothes the, clothes the trees with, can we trust him to provide for our clothing as well? Because that's ultimately what it comes down to, right? Can we... Trust God to provide for us the things that we need. And that is a, that's a question that culturally we're not really prepared to answer. But the Jewish people who have, would have been hearing this from Jesus would have been a little bit better prepared for it, right? Uh, if you remember back in, um, in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 16, Uh, in Exodus 16, uh, the nation of Israel had just come out of Egypt. And they were wandering through the wilderness. And they do what people do. They get hungry, right? And so what does God do? He provides for them this substance called manna, this bread from heaven that none of them had ever seen, that showed up every single morning. And they were told to go out and gather it. And, and we're told in Exodus 16 that no matter how much somebody gathered, whether they gathered baskets and baskets and baskets, or whether they gathered just a little bowlful, however much they gathered, it was exactly what they needed for that day. It was exactly what they needed for that day. And if they hung on to it, if they tried to hang on to it till the next day, what did it do? It got worms and it rotted and it stank. And so six days of the week, for 40 years, God provided for them exactly what they needed. 
I say six days, because on the sixth day, they were told to gather enough for two days. And that one day of the week, it wouldn't rot overnight. And there was enough for them on the Sabbath day. Really wonderful, wonderful story. Take a, take a read of that if you, um, if you get a chance. Uh, so they had to trust and rely on God and on God alone to continually provide for them because there was no way that they would ever have been able to forage enough food to feed a million people out of the wilderness for 40 years. There was no way that it would have happened. And so they were, in, they were culturally conditioned to believe that God could provide for them. Uh, in 1 Samuel 7, there's this story where uh, Samuel has called the nation of Israel to repentance. And they have repented. They have gathered together um, in this place called Mizpah. And uh, at the time, they were being oppressed by the Philistines, one of, this, one of the neighboring countries. And the Philistines had taken away all their weapons. They were completely defenseless at this point in time. And Samuel gathers them all together, and they are repenting. They are pouring out their hearts before God. And the Philistines look at this, and they say, hey, this is an opportunity. They're, they're getting ready to rebel, so we're going to come in, and we're just going to wipe them out. Right? Good military strategy. And so the people are completely defenseless, gathered together all in one place. Um, and this is in 1 Samuel 7, um, starting in verse 7. Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And they had a choice right at this point. You know, they could decide, well, we're going to fight back with our hands and our feet and our fists and some rocks, and, and we're going to make a stand of it. Or they could say, we're going to run away. Either one of those would have been you know, valid for them to do. But verse 8, And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel proceeds then to, to make an offering to the Lord and cries out to him. And in verse 9, the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. Israel was hopeless and helpless before their enemies. All of the worrying and all of the fretting that they could do in that situation wouldn't do anything for them. By human means, they were all going to die. But God's will was to keep them alive. And so he spoke, he thundered, and the Philistines were defeated before them. In Genesis 3, as God is pronouncing his judgment against Adam and Eve for their sin, what's the last action that he takes for them? He clothes them. He gives them these, this clothing made of animal skins to protect them against the newly fallen world that they were entering into. And so these stories of God providing and protecting were ingrained in their national conscience, consciousness. Yes, we can trust God for us. Yes, we can trust God to protect us. 
Picking back up in in Matthew 6, verse 31. Because we can, so because we can trust God to provide for us, because we can trust God to protect us. Verse 31, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, for the rest of the world, seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So these concerns, these needs are common across all of mankind. And God doesn't forget that we need them, right? And we can trust him to provide what we need. If. There's a big if here, right? If we are seeking his kingdom, if we are putting his kingdom at the top of our priority list in our lives. So we've talked over the last three weeks about this idea of the kingdom of self versus the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of self is where, you know, this is what I want. This is what I think is best for me. It's a kingdom where I make the rules and I call the shots. It's a kingdom about building up myself, me, myself, and I. And it's a kingdom that's about increasing the number of things that I think I'm in control over. And in contrast to that, you have the kingdom of God, which has a radically different set of values and expectations than what the world calls us to. So rather than calling us to pile up money and things in this life so that we don't have to depend on a job or a boss for a paycheck. The kingdom of God calls us to constantly be giving it all away, giving it all up, and depending on God to provide for us. Not depending on our bank accounts or the cash in the mattress or the pension plan at work, because these things will fade. They will rust. They will burn. And instead of investing in these things, instead of trusting in these things, our full hope in life and in death is that we are not our own, but that we belong to God. We are not building our own little kingdoms, but we're building his kingdom. Now, when we understand it fully, that's a pretty big ask, right? I mean, that's asking a lot. If you want to turn to Matthew 19, there's the tale of the uh, rich young ruler or the rich young man. This is in Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. 
When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So that's a big ask. To follow Jesus, to submit to the kingdom of heaven means that every single part of our lives is to be turned over to him fully and without reservation. There is no part of our existence here on earth that is exempt from that. But we aren't called to submit begrudgingly or against our will, but to gladly and eagerly lay everything that we have and everything that we are at the feet of Jesus Christ. Lord, take my money, my home, my family, my job, my plans for the future, and you do with them what you think is best. And when we really stop to think about it, that's not a sacrifice at all. Instead of a sacrifice, that's, that's prudent investing. Because he's a better investment manager than I am. I mean, you, you think about it. You hire an investment manager because he's going to do better for your investments than, than you are. You hire a property manager because he's going to take better care of your property than you're able to. You hire an office manager because they're able to better take care of, to better run your office than you are. These are people who, the, um, who have arranged for somebody else to manage something for them because they recognize that they are better off under the care of that manager. And ultimately, we don't really have a very good track record when it comes to managing our own lives, do we? And so this surrender, this giving of all things to God, is ultimately the thing that makes the most sense for us to do. It's prudent investing. God, I've messed up my relationships with other people. And so I'm going to stop doing things my way, and I'm going to start doing things your way. God, I've only been doing sort of so-so, or worse, if I'm honest, with my life. And so, God, I want you to take it, and I want you to make it mean something. I want you to make it worth something. God, I'm tired and burned out trying to rule my own little kingdom, trying to be my own little God. And so I'm going to leave being God to you, and I'm going to concentrate just on being your child. I'm going to depend on you to tell me what to do. I'm going to depend on you to provide what I need. And I'm going to trust 
that you have a great and glorious plan in mind, even when I don't see what that is. So that is what it means to not be anxious, to seek first the kingdom of God, to lay it all down and to hand it over to God. Here, God, you take this and trust that not only is he going to do good with it, but that what he is going to do will be infinitely better than anything that you could ever come up with. I mean, after all, can you make bread fall from the sky? Can you make a baby grow by a foot? Can you speak to that lamp and say, let there be light? I cheat. Or instead, is that you? Because ultimately you can't. We can't. None of us can. But there is one who can make a baby grow by a foot. There is one who can make bread fall from the sky. There is one who can speak and cause light to come into existence. And he is the one who is working, as it says in Romans 8, all things. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Is that you? Do you love him? Are you called according to his purposes? Or are you still seeking your own purposes? Are you still living life according to your plan? Because that's the difference. Whose plan are you following? Who are you serving? Whose kingdom are you building? There is ultimately no cause for the Christian to run around constantly worried about how they're going to make it work or how it's all going to come together. Instead, our primary concern is to be with the advancement of his kingdom. And we know that he knows what we need and we can trust him to provide in unique and unexpected and in wonderful ways, he will provide for his subjects everything that we need if we will trust him and submit ourselves entirely to him. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves then is this. Who or what am I depending on? Am I anxious about this thing because I'm trying to run it? I'm trying to control it. I'm trying to be in charge of it. I'm trying to rule over this little kingdom. Am I anxious? Because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be God to this little sphere of creation. Now this level of trust, this level of submission carries with it a great deal of freedom. We see in verse uh, Matthew 6, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So this is the gospel freedom from, from worry and anxiety. Because we know that God is handling tomorrow. And we can rest in that. We can trust in that. And instead of concentrating our emotional energy on all of the things that could go wrong tomorrow, 
we can concentrate instead on faithfully serving him, on building up his kingdom today in the here and the now. Now, there's two caveats that I want to make. Um, The first is that there are times when um, there can be a chemical issue in our brain that causes us to have... um, uncontrollable, anxious thoughts. And we are unified beings, right? There's not, a, there's not a spiritual, and then there's a physical, and they're just completely unrelated with one another. But instead, they're, they're combined. They are whole. They are part of, they are both a part of us. So a spiritual issue can sometimes cause physical symptoms, and a physical issue can sometimes have a spiritual impact. And so if you have chemicals in your brain that are, that are out of whack, God has given us brilliant researchers and doctors and pharmacists who can help you to bring those things under control, to get those things back in line. And sometimes addressing the physical issue that exists there gives us a better standing, a better starting point to be able to begin the spiritual component of that issue. The other caveat is uh, with regard to our attention to work. Uh, it says in Second Thessalonians 3, uh, Paul says to them, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. So God has given us skills and abilities for us to use to bring glory to him. And part of that is we use those skills to provide for ourselves. So if we have the ability to enrich the lives of others around us by using our God-given skills and abilities, then we have an obligation to do that. And very often, most often, God will use that faithfulness to that calling to provide us with our sustenance, our daily bread, to feed us and house us and clothe us. But to simply loaf around doing nothing and saying, I'm depending on God to provide for me, is an affront to a heavenly Father who is himself creative and is himself at work. So when we are anxious, when we care a little too much about something, when our souls are disquieted and unsettled, the question is, who or what am I trusting? What am I looking towards to solve this problem? Are we looking towards a bank account to give us security? Are we looking at a relationship with another person to bring us fulfillment? Are we depending on our own strength to power through the influence of sin in our lives? Are we counting on our good behavior to make us right with God? Or... Instead, in all of these things, are we looking to God in humility and brokenness? Looking to him rather than to money for our security. Looking to him rather than another person to make us whole. Looking to him rather than ourselves for the power to overcome sin. Looking to him rather than ourselves for our hope of salvation. We can trust him to provide these things in a way that this world never can. We can trust the one 
who by the natural order of the world that he created causes our children to grow. We can trust the one who provided bread from the sky for a million people for 40 years. We can trust that God to provide our physical needs. We can trust the one who spoke and created light out of the darkness to create light out of the darkness of our hearts. Let's pray together this morning. Father, it is difficult for us to trust you sometimes. And sometimes, Father, we turn to trusting you as a last resort when we've exhausted all of our other options. When we've reached the end of our own rope, that's when we turn to trust you. But, Father, that's not the picture that your word paints for us. Instead, Father, you call us to turn to you first, to trust you first, to seek your kingdom first. Not to seek our own glory, not to to demonstrate our own strength or our abilities, God. But you call us to seek you first. So God, we ask that you would shape our hearts, that you would turn our hearts to you so that we turn to you first in all things. We turn to you first for our daily bread, God. We turn to you first for the clothing that we wear. We turn to you first for the span of our lives. Because God, you are in control of these things. You give us these things. You provide these things for us. Father, help us to remember that. And help us to trust you in that. In all things and through all things. We pray this, Father, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.